Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to have you with us here today. And this is actually going to be our final show of 2020. And I tell you what, we're looking forward to 2021, ready to get the year behind us. But along with all the challenges that we have faced in 2020, there's also been a lot of opportunities for folks to learn, to grow, and to be better neighbors, and to also help make sure that neighbors are fed and that one of those greatest proteins on earth is in front of them as well, that of course being beef. And we've had quite a few discussions over the last year about various direct-to-consumer beef models, and I'm actually really excited for the conversation we are going to be having with a great young producer out of the state of Illinois today. Luke France joins us from Lovington, Illinois. Uh, Luke is a, a young producer that is working with fellow producers to pretty much as he described it in an email to me, have the Amazon of beef delivery. I like how that sounds. But uh, Luke, uh, thanks for joining the show. Uh, how are you doing here just a few days before Christmas 2020? How's your day going? Good, good. The The weather finally turned cold a little bit later than normal for us here. Uh, you know, we kind of had a dry fall, uh, kick calves to winter lots a little bit earlier than we'd like to. The rain just shut off. And then, of course, whenever we moved them, the rain and 60-degree weather started at the beginning of December. So we were dealing with some mud pits, and now we're finally finally getting some freezing temperatures to get rid of that. Well, uh, weather is always a factor no matter where our listeners are at. Uh, yesterday here in central Montana, we I, I'm not joking, we had a constant about 50-mile-an-hour wind for about six hours <laughs> yesterday. And I mean, we've had gusts of wind up to 60, 70 miles an hour, but the sustained wind that we had yesterday, it was pretty brutal. And uh, I, I think we have stuff rolled and blown away for miles <laughs> from our place, but uh, uh, bringing some... Um, snow possibly to have a white Christmas, but uh, uh, glad to hear things are going good out your way. Uh, but uh, before we jump into your uh, direct-to-consumer beef business, you know, you're a young producer. You're 26 years old, just a few years younger than me, and uh, you know, you you uh, you have production background. You like, uh, you mentioned in an email to me, listening to the old cowboy stories and keeping the tradition of livestock yeah. production alive. Uh, let's just talk about yourself growing up there in the Midwest and, and what has driven your passion to stay involved in production agriculture? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like uh, your word of that. Um, like you said, I kind of grew up with with ag influence on both sides. And um, I, I think I mentioned to you in the email there, my dad's side, kind of the origin there is is a ranch out northwest Nebraska around the Crawford Shadron area. Um, and, you know, when I was little growing up, and my mom's side is, is kind of row, row crop production here in Illinois. Um, so I kind of got it from both sides. Um, really took to cattle, though, as, as a kid, just listening to, uh, like, like I said, just kind of the old cowboy stories, uncles, cousins. Um, grandparents, stuff like that. And then, you know, once you get out there and see it, you know, kind of, this is where my roots are. This is kind of what the family has been built on. It, it really stuck in my blood and never left. So growing up, that was, you know, that was just always something that I wanted to do and was going to do it any way I could. Um, and, you know, we're kind of transplanted here to, to Illinois and, um, the ranch is still operational, but, you know, getting out there, visiting it. Um, yeah, I even tried to move out there out of high school and, and grandma said, you know, pretty well put the, the ax on that. But, uh, so I went through college and, and still had the, the desire, um, here in Illinois to, to, like I said, just keep the legacy going and, um, just really, really stayed motivated. Um, wanted to branch off on my own kind of do something my own way but kind of maintain the the family name kind of the way things are done and uh, yeah that that's pretty well led to to jumping head first and in, into starting my own separate operation kind of the thing the irons i have in the fire now 
Oh, definitely. And uh, you mentioned that uh, going to college, uh, you went to Illinois State University, graduating just a few years back in 2016. So being out of school for, for about four years now, uh, what, what did you study in college to kind of help you uh, prep uh, for going out on your own? Yeah, and I, you know, I knew I had to learn the business side, right? And there's there, there's a lot of folks, I mean, you know, go to college or not, you can learn the business side many different ways, but I really found it valuable. Um, just kind of doing the ag econ classes, but ag business was my major. Um, and yeah, I mean, you go from high school, at least me anyway, just kind of sifting through to college. I actually found that pretty interesting. So <laughs> I guess that, I guess that's the time if you had to put more effort into one or the other, I, I guess that was the time to do it. But, uh, no, it was, it was good stuff. I, I, I took a lot from it, and I I think it uh, built a lot of kind of the ideas and structure that we operate off of now. So what were some of maybe the activities, maybe some of those key classes uh, within maybe AgEcon or maybe outside of AgEcon or maybe some of the uh, the groups or connections you made in college that, uh, that feel really uh, helped uh, fill your Rolodex and also just uh, gaining a little bit of experience and insight on things? Yeah, yeah, really. And honestly, you said the Ag Econ classes, I couldn't get enough of them. I just really found that to be to be interesting and helpful. And, you know, you hear a lot of guys say, you you know, they never use the stuff that they learned in school. That is the one constant that I'm always using. Um, And sure, you know, you probably would have picked it up along the way out of it. But I I just felt it gave me a really good understanding. just how the markets work, how how the business cycle works, how you know how an operation should be and could be structured more or less. And you know, some of the groups were more or less for networking. Um, my roommates and I actually started <clears throat> a hoof and horn club um, just to kind of bring a livestock sense back to a school that had had you know not eliminated the livestock side, but it, it just kind of trailed off a bit. So we started. Um, a judging team our senior year um and then started uh the the cattle show and have had amazing results year one up until now you know four years later it just keeps growing so that was cool to to kind of see through and and kind of getting back to the networking with that i mean that that's really what that all is it's just to kind of network with with producers in the same industry like-minded or or you know totally different into the spectrum i i think uh I think that was a great thing. So how did the idea of grazed that that's the, the name of your direct to consumer business based on grass fed beef. Um, how did yeah. this enter the equation? Uh, were, were you still in college when you were thinking about this before you moved back in, into your own uh, production operation or, or was this after college? How, how, how did this come about? Yeah. So senior year and that actually, um, I guess I'll start there. Yeah, senior year, we just started going to some seminars, and, you know, speakers coming into class, just talking about different kind of specialty markets, more or less. And and honestly, the idea originally popped into my head from um, a specialty grains guy. He just came in, presented, and, and then kind of a back-end comedy made. He said, you know, grains is not the only market that has specialty market. And I knew that um, just from being in, in cattle, but you know, I'd never really put much thought into it. So that just kind of sparked the research, I guess. Um, just reading on it, reading on it. Really, even then, didn't have a a master plan to to do it myself. I just thought, well, you know, now I know what the natural and grass fed beef market's all about after reading. Um, but then the week I graduated, uh, I was over in Champaign, Illinois, where the University of Illinois is. Um, and two friends of mine there, same age, had also just graduated, had brought up the idea. They said, you know, we, we've been kind of beating around this idea of starting up a grass-fed beef operation. And um, just kind of looked at them dumbfounded. I said, well, that's kind of crazy. I've been reading a lot on it. Uh, really been looking at a way to, to more or less branch off on my own. Um, so kind of just came together organically. I mean, we we put our heads together, started right away, uh, planning right away. I think we planned for probably 10 months, maybe a year before we actually had cattle on the ground. Uh, 
a lot of that was fence building, um, the fun stuff. Uh, you know, several bouts of poison sumac, poison ivy later. Uh, finally got some work worthwhile done. And, yeah, and then the fun really started. Uh, you start realizing that um, the physical work isn't always the hardest part of uh, not just cattle but any any business. I mean, the marketing and sales after that were were the next turtle for sure. So when we look at actually your, your business plan and also the layout of where you get your beef, are, are you raising uh, all the cattle on your own operation or are you working with other producers to, to purchase uh, quality animals to finish out yourselves? What, what does that look like and, and how did you, you know, go from a few head to, to your operation today? Could you maybe walk us through that, uh, that uh, yeah. plan A through, through, through Z, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we did, I mean, we still do source our cattle, uh, but we have agreements made now with, with, um, cow calf operations that, Hey, you know, we're, we really enjoyed kind of the, the quality of the cattle. It fits our program. Well, uh, we'll buy X amount per year, kind of, we buy on a quarterly basis. Um, that way our, our beef flow is always consistent and, and always flowing out. But, um, yeah, you know, it definitely started smaller because you just don't, you know, I mean, the demand was there and, and we knew that from reading and, and the supply really wasn't there, at least locally. Um, so we knew that part would be OK. But having never done it before, you didn't want to just say, here's, you know, a bunch of calves and let's turn them out on fescue and, and see how they look in a year. You know, <laughs> um, so we really dial. We started small, like you said, and um, probably didn't have the best quality calves at first, to be totally honest. And then we started. uh started buying a lot of red Angus out of Iowa and, uh, that, that really worked well for us. Um, we, we've grown a lot from that and, and we're able to kind of support these cow calf guys. There's a really good synergistic relationship. Um, and, and that's kind of our, the operational model, um, is just, it's work. Our, our plan was to always transition to cow calf ourselves, but, man, it just works so smooth. And, and these are coming from grass fed operations anyway, um, to transition them to, to our grasses, to our protocols, our operation has, has just really worked out pretty well. So we haven't gotten near big of a hurry as we were originally to switch to cow calf. Um, but yeah, that, that part's worked out really well. As far as you know, having other producers raised for us, we are totally self-sufficient right now. As far you know, everything we we sell is our own beef that we've raised. Uh, we are set up, and we were set up originally to contract growers out, you know, kind of beneath us. But the, just the quality control is going to be it's going to be a hurdle in itself. And uh, I know new businesses face a lot of new hurdles, but uh, <clears throat> that's kind of one that we're still scratching our heads on, on how to tackle to be honest so we're definitely set up to do that and i think as we grow that'll probably be a pretty viable option um but it's just making sure the qual- quality is there and, and, and sustainable across the board because uh, we're pretty proud of the quality we've been able to get out of out of the grass-fed beef up to the up to the point now now, uh, I do really want to focus on quality, but, uh, you know, you mentioned that you're buying Red Angus calves. Uh, what was the driving factor in, in choosing and sticking with a breed and having that be a part of your marketing plan? Right. Uh, and we kind of did some, I don't want to call them, well, yeah, kind of a trial and error run. We, we threw out some different breeds, and that was the that was the fun part in the beginning stage, right, is reading kind of which breeds folks may prefer um, putting them on our grass and just letting, letting them decide uh, who does best in, in our conditions, our climate, our kind of our setup. And um, you know, we, we tried just kind of the last or the first couple of years, the reds just seemed to really perform well for us. Um, and we were running black Angus too. And I, I think it only honestly just came down to uh we liked how the reds looked out there. I mean, every, the, the reds and the blacks both just really performed well on our grasses, on our winter feed, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the reds' temperament just was kind of outstanding to us. And I know a lot of that goes back to, uh, 
you know, the operations they come from, just how often they were handled just in genetics and, and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we got blessed with several good suppliers and, and, uh, we stuck with them with, with the reds. Now, as I mentioned, and thanks for explaining that, I just think yeah. that provides so much more insight for folks that are considering this. And whether they are cow-calf operators that maybe want to retain and maybe uh, work together with other producers to do that or, or looking to uh, to finish uh, cattle like, like you all are doing, it, it all comes down to quality. And I've uh, we and we've all seen and I and we will get into that conversation how COVID is, has changed the game and, and opened some doors sure. as well. But with the advent of COVID, we have seen folks looking for, especially ground beef, all, all across the nation, and and I've seen some people marketing beef, um, and it just makes me kind of question, as a producer myself, the quality of that because I may know that those people's quality of cattle and what, right. what, how they're finishing them is it a heifer? Is it a steer? Is it a ten-year-old yeah. cow that uh, you, they're they're not maybe going to have a good mix on? Where, where mix with? Excuse me. Uh, you know where where are they getting it processed? And, and that concerns me for the folks that are putting so much effort into this to have it be their livelihood when that relationship is based on the quality and the experience they have uh, 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 buying, preparing, cooking, and eating this product because that one bad experience could impact that consumer and exactly. what their buying preference could be down the road and turn them to an alternative protein. And, mm -hmm. and when I say alternative protein, I'm not talking about fake meat. I'm talking about, you know, pork <laughs> or chicken. But right, right. what is your advice, and maybe talk about the protocols that you have when it comes to the quality, the grading that you're looking for, and the finishing? Because, again, a lot of our other guests that we've had on the show talking about uh, – um, their direct-to-consumer model is grain finished. So, so I'm actually excited to hear your perspective from you know the grass finished aspect of this as well. Yeah, and you know probably what we didn't know beforehand was how how much time, money, and and, and labor you're just going to spend on on grass. You know it, because. A lot of guys will get by if grass fed isn't your model. Obviously, a lot of guys will get by just you know kicking them out. Whatever the grass is there, whatever the native grass is there. Well, our year one, the cattle were not performing very well on just a standard fescue. Uh, so we you know went to some seminars, reached out. You know can never never be too proud um, <laughs> to reach out, and that's something that I've always been kind of proud of us for is. You know, I will hand up and admit when I don't know something about it or I want to learn something about, you know, just kind of further in the grass fed thing because that's just not the style that I came from. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a very steep learning curve for sure. And, uh, like I said, you just kind of invest in the grass in the pastures first, um, reseeding, fertilizing, getting the right mixtures out there, um, we also switched to heavy rotational grazing, which really, you know, I, I wasn't skeptic of, but it just had never implemented it. And I, I thought that just leaps and bounds helped us, you know, more than anything. Um, so kind of the mixture of those two, just improving the grass quality, you know, tenfold and then rotating into small paddocks, mob grazing. We, we would rotate once a day. Um that really helped and but we still noticed we weren't quite where we wanted to be and the next step was the winter feed and in grass feed grass-fed cattle i mean that's a huge deal because you know all you can feed them is is hay so you know the 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 waterway hay that we were bailing up and we were doing a lot of hay work but they just weren't gaining in, in the winter and yeah we had the polar vortex so that didn't help but it really motivated us to, to, to do something different there. Um, so we started again, just investing more in our hay ground, um, you know, kind of going out and, and getting a, a, a wet wrapper and, and, and that alone, just those wet bales, mm -hmm. just being able those bales fermented has, I mean, 
it, it's just unbelievable. I was, uh, I honestly was kind of skeptic on those, and now I'm the biggest cheerleader on on the wet bales and uh, just the quality. The they still gain. I mean, they gain. I don't want to say just as good, but not much more. I mean, pretty comparable to how they gain whenever they're on grass and on pasture in the spring and summer. Um, and that's huge for us. I mean, basically, whenever we switch to that, the the different winter feed, we found that it eliminated an additional winter of feeding for each set of cattle or each set of calves. So, you know, cost savings it was was just insane, you know, and it was great for us. And it was great to see that play out on paper, but also great to see it kind of reflect in you know, the brightness of the beef, the the marbling of the beef, and obviously the, you know, the taste and the customer feedback, just all things considered, it was good that, you know, the steps that we, I mean, we had to take them, but the steps that we made uh, really paid off, you know, cost-wise and just operational-wise. Now, when, when you look at, uh, obviously, uh, doing grass-fed, as you mentioned, it, it, it's a lot more time on grass because obviously they're grass finished yep. as the name um, entails. So I guess my question is, what are some of the difficulties you're seeing with availability of pasture? Uh, do you have a lot of deed land or is a majority of what you're running on is it lease land? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of lease land and, and that's the problem with expansion, right? Is as our demand rises, um, which it has been, and, and that's a good problem to have, but, at the end of the day, it's still a problem. You know, you have to have the pasture and, and the cattle to match that demand. And, you know, there is pasture around us, but it, it's, it's competitive um, because I, you know, we are in a row crop dominant area of the world. A lot of it's been tilled up and uh, you know, there's still really good grass. There's still really good pastures here, but it, it's just ultra competitive. And uh, he, you know, if a guy gets it, he's uh He's going to hold on to it for a while type thing. So it's, it, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a different beast. Um, you know, I know rent battles are never fun in any industry, but um, yeah, that's kind of the, the challenge, I guess, that we run into with, with mm-hmm. grass. Of course, Luke France joins us here today. Uh, Grazed is the name of their direct-to-consumer model and uh, it's just great hear- hearing about all all of uh, what you've learned and what what you continue to I- implement um i, I want to talk about processing but i think our folks are probably like okay ha, ha, what's the model how, how does he reach consumers so i'll, I'll bring yeah. up processing in my scattered notes uh, that, that i have written on a, a usda market uh, page for with calf prices <laughs> on it that uh, is a week old but uh, l- let's dive into this model um you described it as an Amazon model, sending that beef directly to consumers. Um, was it your first choice when, when considering this? And how did you get to this model where you are sending beef directly to consumers' uh, doorsteps? Yeah, no, and, and honestly, that was probably one of the first ideas that we had in, in planning was, you know, call us millennials and, and, you know, what you will with the internet, you know, that that's, you know, like it or not, that's just how things are trending. And obviously COVID amplified that, but even before that, I think, you know, that's just where things were headed. A lot of the popularity was leaning on Amazon and, um, you know, just having everything, every company everywhere ships right to your door. So we're like, you know, why not take some extra steps and measures to, to do that with beef? Uh, and, that just logistically has has some headaches um we've been able to you know we started with e-commerce and wanted to be very heavily website based i mean we do social media and yeah there's word of mouth too and that those are great and and you never want to replace those but kind of our bread maker was our website and we invested a lot in it and just made it very easy to you know add to the cart check out you know, here's your shipping price, estimated shipping, just stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, we develop relationships with carriers uh, to, to the point now where, you know, we know the, the drivers by name. They walk in the walk in the shed and, and get the boxes out of the freezer if we're not there and, and kind of go go along with their day. Um, but 
you know, that to answer your question, that was definitely the first goal. Um, and one of our first ideas was to, you know, take, take an old industry like cattle been around since, you know, people have been around and, and kind of incorporate the Amazon approach. So when we look at that, Luke, uh, quality control and time, the, the timeliness of those packages is just so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so how fast is it when someone orders that, uh, box of beef, um, how long is it for you guys to print that label? Um, if, if that product is available, uh, and, and get it out to them in the mail and, and how far are you shipping it? Uh, I'm assuming multiple States. Yeah. Yeah. We, we pretty well touch, um, most of the Midwest and all the contiguous States, Illinois, uh, we've, we've shipped to, but, uh, we'll print the labels pretty well immediately. We have, um, we've kind of developed, you know, they call it the business account to where you can actually pick days to where, you know, that driver will be there this day to pick up this day to pick up this day to pick up. So it's not just a, Hey, here's a, we have an order in, you got to come tomorrow type approach. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we pride ourselves on very quick delivery. So, you know, basically we opened ourselves up to a, uh, try to touch base with us basically every other day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we have orders, we'll ship them out. Um, but yeah, I mean, usually it gets there the next day. If, if there's a concern, um, on, on distance, if it's a little further than we've, we shipped or, you know, maybe it's extra hot in the summer is definitely very stressful. Uh, we'll load it up with, with some dry ice or extra ice and, um, some more insulation and, uh, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had an issue. The, the carriers have, you know, have, have really shown their value and getting it there quick. And just, uh, it's good to have that relationship there. Um, they're familiar with us, we're familiar with them and, and they kind of know the importance of, uh, getting perishable product there as quick as their day would allow. But, uh, no, it's been great. So how many boxes uh, or shipments can I, can I ask, uh, are, are you guys sending out, uh, now that things are, are really up and running? Yeah. Um, Wow. You know, so we do. And one thing that has kind of broken those up is we offer a monthly bundle. So it's a different assortment of beef. And, you know, that that idea has been out there, Um, but it's a different assortment of beef each month. Uh, It kind of spreads it across. You know, if, if a family were to buy a whole beef, our kind of our idea was, you know, why not break it up? into a, a box a month and make it a little bit easier to store and get through. Um, so at first we were really just, I mean, it was kind of rapid fire. Like here's five boxes, here's 10 boxes, send them out. Now we're much more kind of strategic and we'll send those out twice a week or twice a month. I'm sorry. And, um, folks who subscribe and sign up, they know exactly when they're getting them. Um, so it's a much steadier, uh, kind of, kind of shipment process rather than uh, you know having a guessing game of the driver sweating. Uh, hey, am I gonna have to load ten boxes, or did I drive all this way for one box? Um, so yeah, it, it but it still varies. I mean, it, it just you know we have a lot of folks subscribed, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just always growing and always varying. I'm sure if I check my email, we'll probably have a few more. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when we look at exactly what uh, customers are uh, purchasing, like you said, you, you have that variety box. But um, yeah. I, and again, I'm assuming you can tell me that I'm wrong because I'm wrong. That's what my wife tells me all the time. Uh, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming a lot of folks, uh, probably the number one thing you're shipping out is hamburger. And, and if I and if that's right, I guess just yeah. maybe walk us through like what what are some of those other popular cuts, and then how, how do you troubleshoot and also sell some of those other cuts that people don't traditionally buy and and how do you market that to them yeah and and that honestly that was another big reason in uh, why we did the monthly bundle was we were just getting cleaned out of so many items and then you know the others would be stacking up so you know we're very diversified in in the bundle like here's three to five pounds of ground beef here's some burger patties here's three or four steaks some roast um short ribs, stuff like that is generally how our box is structured. So that keeps a very good balance. 
it, but sometimes you'll see a box order come in and the the family will also have uh, 30 pounds of ground beef additionally ordered on it. So you can't really get around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the individual orders that we get outside the box, like you said, are ground beef is huge. Uh, fillets that were huge this year. And, you know, you don't really get a lot of those per yeah. cow and that that kind of those two things worked against us. We had a, a fillet waiting list for, for a long time, which is good whenever you take cattle in to process and you already know that, you know, that portion is already spoken for and paid for. But, um, yeah, ground beef and fillets are huge. Um, short ribs kind of seasonally will, uh, will gain popularity. But other than that, we try and keep a really good flow and, and balance of, of what we will send out. Now, as I mentioned, I had come back to that processing question. Um, what, what's the relationship? And, and let's, you know, maybe think uh, and not really consider COVID in this part of, of you sure. know of our conversation because that, that we know how that impacted the industry. Yeah, but uh, absolutely. What 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 is the relationship with the processor or processors that you work with? And obviously, they have to be USDA certified to be shipping uh, out of state. Uh, yeah. But uh, what's it like to just uh, have that relationship, maintain it, and because uh, obviously that's that's one of the vital aspects of uh, your guys' hard work out in the pasture, then uh, making sure it becomes a beef product. Yeah, and, and that is huge. We try – there's a constant communication, I guess, would would be my answer. So like you said, the, the stuff that we will ship locally within the state um, – we we have a local processor kind of right in our town that, you know, obviously a fantastic relationship there. Um, but we do like, so we work with some USDA processors and that, you know, they're, they're much bigger, harder to kind of garner that relationship. But now we're to the point where we can even just text the owner say, Hey, we've got reminder. We've got these guys coming or vice versa. He'll say, Hey, don't forget about your date which I don't know how, how we could, especially uh, <laughs> how precious the slots are these days. But, uh, no, it, it's, uh, it's a great relationship now. And uh, it just takes some, some a couple meetings, sit-downs, because not a lot of people are bringing in grass-fed cattle. And then, you know, on top of that, not a lot of people have the model we have. So we're aware that it's extra work, and, and you know, we try to be cognizant of that and respect that. But they've really responded well. Uh, and I, I know they're slammed now, but even before that, you know, it's just zero complaints. I mean, they, they take our instructions and, and they, they ask questions on you know, just a million different things under the sun, just to make sure that we're comfortable with things and, and taken care of. So, um, you know, that was a concern was taking a totally different product than they're used to or, or style of product. And especially with us being the resale side. So, uh, the relationship was crucial. Well, you, you can't talk bad about them. They might, they might say, no, we're kind of full. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 2023 slots. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, as we mentioned, uh, COVID really, it, it, I mean, uh, we, we can't say anything uh, when it comes to the pandemic and, and the impact right. that it has had on people's health and, and our communities and our lives. But it has been, an opportunity for consumers to maybe respect where their food comes from and respect uh, the the ranchers and the farmers that produce their food because we've been very food secure for so long and we saw the backup in the uh, in the large packing plants and uh, also in our local uh, processing facilities as well so right let's maybe look at the opportunities that uh, um, grazed uh, had uh, in terms of new customers, the challenges that you probably faced in those processing plants as well. Could you maybe walk us through the last, uh, gosh darn, we're almost coming up on a year here in a few yeah, months, but the last uh, eight, nine months. Yeah, and and I always tell people we, we were fortunate. We kind of fell backwards into uh, last year and the years before. We will always kind of proactively book processing dates for the next year uh, basically as far as we can out um so that really helped us uh i mentioned you know in the email the the growth part uh we would not have been able to grow like we did had we not done that on the back end and locked in all those processing dates for 2020 because you know 
obviously we weren't uh, really expecting anything out of the ordinary for 2020. But whenever, you know, March, when the world shuts down, our thoughts immediately went to, you know, what are we going to do? It just kind of gave us that, that peace of mind. Well, you know, at least we can keep bringing in cattle as long as they can stay open, you know? And, um, you know, I think people knew that or they start, you know, the word started getting out that we were still operating a business as normal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so we had traditionally gone after, you know, restaurant stores and retail as well. Well, the restaurant stores kind of slowed down as to be expected. And, um, the retail side just exploded. And without that relationship with the processor, without us having the, the dates already booked for every month in 2020, we just wouldn't have been able to handle it because especially March, April and May, we were just running ragged. I mean, my phone was always vibrating, emails, texts, calls, Facebook notifications, you name it. Um, just people wanted their beef. And, and we were very blessed to be set up and, and structured to continue to supply people. People, And like you said, they kind of, you know, you gain that relationship with the rancher to where they wanted to come out and meet us after a time or two of getting getting the box or their order and they wanted to see the cattle and now you know they're like well we kind of like the quality uh you know just buying direct and it doesn't have to be from us but you know if you can support local why not support local and 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 that's kind of been good too as we get a chance to further educate people who did come on board maybe just from a lack of not having ground beef at the grocery store and they stumbled across us and you know now that relationship's there and and maybe they have a better view of, of, of animal agriculture because of it, because they, they can interact with us, how we treat our animals and, 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 you know, the end quality or the end result would be the, the quality of beef they get. And aside from the direct consumer model, you also have a retail and wholesale market, which uh, we, we know that retail has been impacted by COVID, but maybe, maybe, uh, share some, um, talking points in terms of that retail wholesale market and having that relationship with local restaurants that are also a great way to uh, promote your product and your brand as well. Exactly. And that, and they, they were great. And unfortunately some went out of business due to COVID the restaurants, which, you know, you hate to see that because at the end of the day, they're this, they're just like you and me. I mean, they're people in the community trying to, trying to get by through a pandemic, but, um, yeah, I mean, before COVID, the restaurants were honestly our biggest cheerleaders, which was great. I mean, we would get calls from people after they would eat at the restaurant and say, hey, we'd like to order a half beef or, you know, just stuff like that, little stuff like that. And it goes a long way. So you want to make sure you take extra good care of, of the restaurants, too. And and that's why it was tough to see some of them have to close the doors. I mean, you never want to see that. But, um, it, you know, I, I think for the most part that you know, the margins obviously change a little bit when you go that route, but it's, it's nice to be able to forecast beef that way. And, and you still pick up the name recognition, the brand recognition and potential customers as well. Now, I mean, we, we've covered quite a lot and, uh, and when we look at the opportunities that the direct to consumer model has, not only for, for yourself, but the entire industry, a question that I ask, um, most of the folks that uh, jump on the show and talk about their uh, direct market is, is there enough room in the marketplace for multiple people in one local community uh, to, to participate in a branded beef program? Yeah, no, I, I, I think there is, especially in, you know, they, they don't have to, you know, every region wouldn't have to, you know, I monopolize the grass fed and you get the, conventionally raised it doesn't have to be like that but at least for us you know we're raising a a much different product than you know let's say a competitor just raise you know grain finishing beef uh in a town over uh we haven't had a whole lot of overlap and you know and we have good relationships with with other producers that are doing the same thing and you know it's more or less become a network of, of folks to bounce ideas off each other rather than rather than really compete. I mean, at the end of the day, I know we're competing, but you know, I just bring that up to say, uh, we kind of welcome it. 
uh, I, I definitely think there's room and uh, it's it's a good thing as far as educating the consumer. And that's kind of the point I I like to make is I'm not so much worried about all the competition or somebody stealing our thunder or a customer or two. It's just, you know, it just gets kind of tiresome how poorly, you know, livestock producers get portrayed in a lot of the media. You see it on Twitter, you know, what have you. And I just think that this route has provided us the opportunity to really mitigate a lot of that and uh, change people's minds. So, yeah, I mean, the more the merrier. Definitely, definitely. Now, now this is a concern that I have personally is, as I mentioned, COVID um, provided an opportunity for producers to market their beef, specifically hamburger here in my region, and it could be yeah. different elsewhere. But, you know, quality always concerns me, as I mentioned earlier. But a lot of folks uh, maybe that didn't think that uh, the direct-to-consumer model was feasible for themselves found them found themselves in the situation or the opportunity to jump into the market because consumers really were looking towards that local product. But sure. I guess, and I'm not trying to be negative, I'm just trying to... I want people to be thinking about it as when beef in the grocery store, ground beef, becomes much cheaper than it is today here at the end of 2020, how do they keep consumers coming back to that local, you know, ground beef product that they have? Because we know how consumers are and we want consumers to eat beef. But right. th- they want to go for the most, uh, some people will go for the most affordable option because maybe they can't afford that higher end local product. Yeah. But what should folks be thinking about <laughs> if they experience maybe a downtick in business due to that price being lower in the grocery store? What do they need to be thinking about to, to not give up on this business plan? Right. And that's, that's a really good point. And those are obviously concerns that we've had. I mean, Obviously, our our business has been very inflated during COVID, and and we're not naive to that. You know, things will slow down, and like I said, people will they'll want to get out and go to the store and and get beef. You know, maybe maybe they don't want it shipped right to their door every time. They just want to get out and get beef. Um, All those factors come into play, and that's we've had these conversations with our consumers, and that's why my answer is kind of worded like this. You know, a lot of the people really they really do like the quality that they get from, you know, the direct to consumer model. And, and on top of that, they just, they just really like being able to, you know, put a face with the brand. Uh, you know, whenever they get grazed beef, they say, you know, I know these guys, I've seen these cattle. I think, you know, things are going to slow down a bit for, for the direct to consumer model. I'm, I'm, I'm not naive to that. I kind of expect that. But I really think for the most part, our customer base will stay pretty loyal. Um, it, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll have to see. But we're not we're not super worried about a, a big downtick in business. But, uh, you know, there, like you said, there's just some folks that are going to be more comfortable with going to the store and um, getting a little bit cheaper beef. And, and that's we'll just continue to be out in the community and, and kind of get in front of people and, and maybe garner up some more business of folks who hadn't heard about us yet throughout COVID. Um, so really we'll just, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And again, I'm not trying to be negative on that thought process right. or, or on people, but it was just, it was so easy. It seemed to, to be able to say, Hey, I'm a local producer and I have local meat to help feed sure. your family. Um, I guess what, what are some quick marketing tips you would share with them, whether that be on social media, farmer's market? Uh, I, I just, I got to be aware of the time. I, I have a egg. I have to do the egg markets on radio here in about 15, 20 minutes. So I'm just, I'm watching the clock, but hey, the markets yeah. are doing pretty well after that Catalan feed report here. But that's <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what, what are some of those marketing tips you have for them? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we invested a lot in the website and I think that's paid off. And, and a lot of the times that's how marketing is. You, you, you got to spend the money and the effort. Uh, but social media is important. I mean, everybody's plugged into social media. Um, that has been huge for us, more so even than going to local events, which we do both. I mean, I think the in-person aspect is, is just as important, you know, just to show that you do care and you, you want to meet your your customers but yeah i mean social media and maybe we're biased because like i said we have the 
the Amazon approach, uh, that that's been our advice to a couple other producers who are, are just starting is, you know, really invest in your online presence. Um, you just cast such a wider net, you know, and, and you can cast that wider net every day if you want to, or, you know, several times a day. Um, there's really no bounds to, to the amount of folks you can put yourself in front of in the amount of times. Now I actually am looking at your website, uh, and it's actually a Montana company that uh, you have. Uh, That's right. Uh, K- That's right. K Rose Marketing just uh, down the road from where my wife and I live there, uh, uh, there in Southwest Montana. But uh, so I, I would encourage folks to actually check out your website. It, it, it is just so nice and clean and crisp, and and I can see why consumers they they see your logo, they they see what you're all about, and uh, and really they're not the ones. Going down the uh, grocery store aisle, looking in the meat case, picking out uh, uh, what they believe to be the best cut of beef. They, they're they're putting that trust into you, into your team, into the quality of cattle that you are purchasing. Those Red Angus cattle that and that's you know that's a lot of trust. And and I know that's something you do not take lightly. No, no, and and that's uh, you know you look back and it doesn't feel like four or five years, however long it's been, but. You know, it just seems like every day we've chipped away at, at providing that trust. And, um, you know, we're definitely not going to lose it. it we, we take steps every day now to, to to just, like I said, just pass the wider net and let people know we are a trustworthy uh, supplier and, and, and we'll continue to be. And we just got to continue to be consistent. And, and we love doing it. So that helps, too. That, that always helps motivate us. Uh, again, grazed.com. That's G-R-A-I-Z-E-D.com. And, and Luke, uh, I should probably give you a chance to maybe mention your, your partners on this as well. Yeah, yeah. Colton Poston and Tom Wager. Uh, just, we were just three college kids, all from central Illinois. And, you know, a lot of, you know, I know a lot of people are familiar with uh, million dollar ideas you come up with late night in college, but, uh, not that this is the million dollar idea, but you know, the three of us, Colton, Tom, and I, um, I, I'm just proud of the, the group of us really. I mean, just taking an idea that we had late night in college and, and running with it and, and turning it into what we've got. Well, sometimes those Coors Light ideas that come to you about <laughs> three in the morning are the best. And you know what? Yeah. <laughs> and I hope it is a million dollar idea for you, but at the end of hey, the day, yeah. at the end of the day, it's about what you're happy doing. And exactly. for all of us young guys, I, I have to go down and hopefully pay off my my, my cow note for the last thing uh, set of cows, I, uh, pairs that I bought. So uh, I'm going to do that today. And that's uh, why I'm a broadcaster. And I joke about that so much here on this show is I, I, I'm a broke broad. I'm a broke rancher that has a dream of, you know, having a big paid off herd someday. And I have to talk for a living, but it, it's all what we dr- want to do. <laughs> we want to be involved in agriculture. We want to work all day and be broke, but it's something that we, it's something that we love to do. And, and if we can make a little money and not be as broke as we are in the industry that makes it so much better so i i i, I luke i i can't wait to meet you in person someday and uh continue to tell Absolutely. this story and, and and you and your partners um I- any last comments or, or anything that you would just like to share with our audience today uh um and maybe we'll we'll continue this conversation down the road uh, uh post covid but uh any any last comments yeah i mean if if a uh... If an operation is thinking about doing it, just you know, do plenty of research and make sure that you can that you can be set up for it. And honestly, just make sure you can be set up for all the surprises and mistakes that will happen along the way. Make sure you can afford to take them. But if you're interested in it enough, I think it's a good thing to diversify. And I'm not saying go grass fed or you know one way or the other. But you know, if if there's a if there's a niche market that that you're really looking after you know you're not going to regret at least trying it and uh yeah i mean if folks ever have any questions i'm i'm always free to uh to to chat or let someone pick my brain or or vice versa well luke i've enjoyed our conversation here today and uh i i know our folks that especially the our grass-fed uh producers uh, a lot of good insight on that and uh, i i just think the sky's the limit in terms of 
uh, making sure that beef is on people's uh, dinner tables. Uh, but uh, having that availability for that beef to be delivered directly to them is just going to continue to grow. Um, but it's all about quality. It's about all the hard work that goes in on the backside of it. And uh, um, again, I, if our folks that are listening to this have any more questions, you can reach Luke or his uh, fellow partners at grazed.com. There's an I in there, um, G-R-A-I-Z. ED.com. And I'll have that link in our podcast description as well. But uh, Luke France, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you were busy and, and we finally got connected. You and I are both just running everywhere and, <laughs> and doing our day jobs here. But uh, I, I thank you for the conversation. I learned a lot and, and I appreciate your insight and comments here today. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate you having me on. And, and like I said, I, I look forward to meeting you one day, continuing the conversation. Well, we can have uh, another million-dollar idea maybe at the Cattle That's Industry right. Convention uh, <laughs> <laughs> o- over a cold one. Uh, friends, again, uh, visit them online at graze.com. Uh, their contact information can be found there. I'll have the uh, link to their website in this podcast description. And, hey, if there's a topic you want us to cover, you drop us an email. Uh, that, that email link can be found uh, on the ncba.org website. Click on the, the tab where the Cattleman's Call podcast is housed, and, and uh, we'd we, we just love to hear from you. And, and make sure and share these conversations. Uh, share uh, whether it's on SoundCloud, Apple, Google Podcasts, what, whichever app that you use to listen to this podcast. Share it with your friends. It, it's all about having these conversations conversations, answering the cattleman's call, and just bettering the industry uh, with, with a good uh, BS session, as I like to call it, because our, our goal is just to share these conversations, and, and uh, we're about a year and a half into, into this podcast, and it's been my pleasure of hosting it, and we just want to continue to reach all the producers out there, and uh, whatever your background or, or your thought process might be, we just want to make the industry better. So, And it's going to get better, especially on the PR aspect and the quality aspect because of guys like Luke. So thanks for joining us here today, Luke, and uh, thanks to our listeners out there across the countryside. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.